0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. A friend to me and his testimony and his faithfulness and his consistency and his endurance are, are unlike most others that I know. And I want you to welcome this morning Pastor Joel T. Myers. He brings the word. Man, it is awesome to be here at New Covenant Church and you guys are an amazing, amazing Church, and I love what God is doing here, and, and I asked Pastor Chris for permission to do this, that, that before I get started on my message, i got two quick words that I want to give to some people in the, in the house this morning, and if you're unfamiliar with church and church terminology, basically what that means is God's really impressed on my heart to share a couple things to uh, the whole congregation, um, but it's specifically for some people who are dealing with things, and I want you to really begin to focus in on your heart and ask the question, could this be me? Could this be me that this word, that, that what I'm about to say, the phrases that I'm about to say, is it for you? And the first one is this. You are not a product of your past. Okay? If you're in the house this morning, today is a brand new day. You are not a product of yesterday. You are not a product of your past. The blood of Jesus is stronger than any sin you've ever committed. And if he loved you enough to get you here this morning, you are not a product of your past. You need to start looking for your potential. And and here's what I want you to be set free from. If you are here thinking, I want to be involved and I want God to use me, but these people don't know what I've done. (laughs) They don't know what I have came through. They don't know how much I drank last night and I'm just doing good to be here this morning. Come on, let's get real. That they, just, he, they just don't know. And if they knew, I'd be ran out of the church. I'm telling you right now, I want you to be set free from the spirit of shame. You have nothing to be ashamed of because the blood of Jesus has set you free. And some of you come in here Sunday after Sunday, not stepping into your destiny because of what you did last decade. And you let a 10-year bondage keep you from the promise of the future. And I'm telling you, you are set free from the spirit of shame this morning. And, and here's the crazy thing. As, as I was studying and reading and praying and, and what God was showing me, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the first thing they did is they took fig leaves and sewed them together to cover their nakedness or their shame. And when I was reading the New Testament, there was a time that Jesus was walking to another city And he saw a fig tree with leaves on it, but had no fruit, and he cursed it. Now, now follow the theology in this. The thing that the people use to cover their shame is the very thing Jesus cursed because it couldn't bear fruit. Your shame will keep you from bearing the fruit that God intends you to have. And so until you're set free from the shame of your past, you'll never step into the promise of your future. And so for some of you this morning, before this morning's done, I want you to just celebrate because you are no longer going to be bound by the shame of the things you've done because you are not uh, you, you are not a product of your past. You are a product of the blood of Jesus. And it's a miracle that any of us are here this morning. And so we need to celebrate that, that Jesus came for a lost, sinful, dying people. And I was one of those people that was touched by the power of God. And he changed my life. And I have to drop the spirit of shame. See, for Adam and Eve to put on the, the garments that God made for them in the Garden of Eden, they had to take off the garments that covered that they made that covered their shame. So if you're wanting what God has for you, you got to drop what you're holding on to. And the only person that can hold on to your past is you. The only person that can hold on to the things you did 20 years ago is you. I'm not judging you for it. Nobody in this house is judging you for it. All as we see is a bunch of people with a lot of potential. But we also look at it with great confusion. and thinking, why are they not just stepping into their God calling? And Pastor Chris, a lot of that, it's because in our church as well, people will deal with the shame of their past... And it's preventing them from going into the promise of their future. So if you're struggling with anything in your past that's holding you back, I want you to right now just say, I let it go. And it really is that easy. I let go of the shame and walking away. Now don't run back to it next Sunday. (laughs) Like like, like men and women are great about this. We all put on our spiritual makeup. We walk into church and it's like, yes, I'm doing good. Knowing you and your wife fought this morning on the way to church. (laughs) Come on. That's when most marriage fights happen is on the way to church. That's when most of the fights happen with our kids is on the way to church. Right? And I'm the pastor of a church and I get it. But I want you to be set free from your shame that you've been dealing with because there's a huge promise for you. And when you step into the potential of that promise, God says, I'm making all things new. And you'll outlive the mess of your past and you'll get into the message of your life. To see where he's calling you from. The other thing I have for you... And I hope that resonates... And I'm not going to ask everybody to raise your hand if that's you... But if that's you this morning... I want you to celebrate real big in just a minute. Because Pastor Chris... When we were worshiping this morning... We were on the the verge of something. You know how you can feel it? It's like... But people are afraid to take that step. You know it's like people... We're at a great point in their worship song... You just so want to clap... But nobody else is clapping and you're afraid... I'll be the only one clapping if... if right... You know what I'm saying? You're in the middle of the worship set, and you want to go, Woo! Come on, somebody! Right? And, and But nobody else is doing it, and you're like, I don't know if I should do it. That's going to be weird if I'm the only one doing it, you know? Uh, so, so, in just a minute, I want you guys to practice what it's like being free. Okay? And here's what I mean. I didn't say crazy. Because most churches, they, they don't understand the difference between freedom and crazy. Right? It's like... They think if we're free we got to be crazy. No, if you're free you got to celebrate the freedom without going into the realm of crazy where it runs people off. Come on, you did. So you're wondering, as like, how do I balance this verge of my excitement, of my expression of my faith, of who I really am, of what I really just want to celebrate because He is holy and there is no one like Him and He's truly awesome and I just want to shout it but nobody else is shouting so I can't practice my freedom because nobody else seems to be free. Right? Am I the only one that sees this? So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Just stand up real quick. This ain't going to take but ten seconds and we're getting to the message. And so... I want you to elbow your person on the left and say, get ready. Elbow the person on your right and say, get ready. ready. And and for 10 seconds, literally just 10 seconds, can we just celebrate like we're free? Like, if you want to clap, clap. If you want to shout, shout. And and listen, this is literally going to be the longest 10 seconds of your life. It's going to be longer than the last 10 minutes of a basketball game where they call timeout like every time they dribble the ball, right? Right? But but if you don't practice being free, you'll never come into the full expression of your faith. And that's not crazy. That's true freedom. So on the count of three, for ten seconds, we're just going to clap and give God praise. And if you don't want to shout, don't shout. If you don't want to clap, don't clap. If you want to go, woo, just woo. I mean, do do whatever you want to do. But some of you this morning were on the verge of not just freedom, but a great breakthrough. But because you didn't express your freedom, you never stepped into the breakthrough. I'm going to say that again. Some of you are on the verge of a great breakthrough, but because you didn't express your freedom, you never stepped into the breakthrough. And I want you to step into the breakthrough. And I want you to praise Him because He's worthy. I want you to praise Him just because He's God. Not because He did something for you. It's because He's God. And I want you to praise Him because He is God Almighty. And He did do something for you because of Jesus Christ. You are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And, and, and this church, it's going to explode in growth. And not just numerical, but spiritual growth and numerical growth. When you begin to express outwardly what He's done for you inwardly. And there's a difference between freedom and crazy. A big difference. And people know the difference. People can tell Pastor Chris when, when Pastor Joel is worshiping, whether it's like this or like this, if it's a genuine expression of my faith, or if it's just me being crazy. That People can tell the difference. Lost people can tell the difference. A lot quicker than saved people can usually tell the difference. So be free in your faith. And discover the breakthrough that God has for you. And here's what a phrase that I heard years ago, and I believe it's true. The depth of your praise will determine the magnitude of your breakthrough. Praise a little, get a little breakthrough. Praise a lot, get a lot of breakthrough. But praise Him and be free. So for ten seconds, that's all I'm asking. Be free and worship Him. Here we go, I'm going to put the mic down so I can worship Him. We praise your name. We worship you, oh God. One more time. Give him a shout of praise this morning. You're free. You're free. And some of you are like, I I wanted you to do that ten years ago. (laughs) Well, what you been waiting for? Because I promise you this, when one person starts clapping... Everybody starts getting in on the celebration. God's just waiting for that one person to take a step of faith. I hadn't even counted to three yet. And some crazy person started clapping. And everybody started clapping before I even counted. Ca- and you're not crazy. You're awesome. That was an amazing step of faith. And it, see, somebody started clapping. Now everybody's clapping. And I love it. Celebrate and be free. And express it. Worship has never been silent. And worship has never been still. Until now in the church. And we think worship is like this. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Really, does it even look like I believe what I'm saying? That's like when, when we were worshiping, it's like, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. I couldn't even sing it because it affects me what I say. And I couldn't sing it because my heart was affected by what I was saying. Because I know when I say holy, it's just not Pastor Joel saying holy. The Bible says all of the hosts of heaven say this 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for all eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when I say holy, I know I'm echoing and saying what the heavenlies are saying holy. So then heaven touches earth in that moment because I'm in agreement with heaven. And I just got to hit my knees sometime and say, you're holy. You're holy. You're holy. And it's not a game and it's not an act. He's holy. He is awesome. He is God Almighty. And we worship him. In Jesus name, Father, we never Father, we never want to step into the realm of crazy. But we also never want to step into the realm of fear and never express our freedom. We want you to know that we reverence the name of Jesus Christ. We reverence that name. We reverence the name of Yahweh God. Almighty God. And for those of you who, don't, who, who may be new to the house, uh, you don't know what Yahweh means. It is the, the Hebrew name for God. And we honor that name. We love you, Father. Now, God, say in 20 minutes, What's well, going to take me an hour to preach. <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. Give him one more good hand clap of praise before you're seated. And you can be seated if you want to. You don't have to. You're free to express your, your passion for God. And I'm praying this prayer over you as I begin this message. And it's a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, So I've been praying for you guys, not just this week, but but ever since Pastor Chris asked me about preaching here. I've been praying for New Covenant Church. I've been remembering you in my prayers. And here's my prayer for you. That the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you... Here's what He's wanting to give you so everybody say, I receive it. He may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him... And here's what he's fixing to do. Having your eyes of your heart enlightened. They're going to open up. You're going to see differently after this morning's message that you may know what the hope is. So you're going to come into a new knowing this morning of the hope is that he's calling you to. You, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So there's a power that is coming towards you as you believe in the word of God this morning. Not in Pastor Joel. As you believe in the word of God this morning, there's a power coming towards you from heaven that will change your life. And and, and and it goes on to say, um, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might. So He's going to do a work in you this morning that's called great and mighty. That He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and dominion and above every and above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the age to come. And that's my prayer for you this morning. So as you're turning in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2 this morning, I need you to hang with me today because I always talk this fast. It's my normal speech pattern. So get the Rosetta Stone called T. Meyer and you can translate it later if you didn't catch it. Or just watch Facebook Live again. And we're going to watch God do something awesome. So as we're starting this morning, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we're going to talk about a topic called the mess of the middle. The mess of the middle. And most of your life isn't starting something or finishing something. It's figure out how to deal with the mess of the middle. Most of your life isn't starting something or finishing something. I know we're at the end of one decade and we're about to start a new decade. But you've gone through ten years called the middle. That you weren't starting something and you weren't finishing something. You were just in the middle of the year 2010 through 2020. Right? You're in the middle of it. And some of you, it was a good decade. Some of you, it's a decade that you would forget along with everything else in life. And how do you deal with the mess that is the middle? In the middle is where the chaos happens. In the middle is where the adversity happens. In the middle is where the testing of our abilities happens. And if we don't embrace the mess of the middle, we're going to miss the manifestation of what God wants to do. And so in this, when we are in the middle, will we trust Him with the outcome Even though we are still in the process. When we're in the middle, will we trust him with the outcome even though we're still in the process? I like to say it like this. The God of the miracle is also the God of the process. The same God who does miracles is the same God who is the God of the process. Do you remember this story in, in uh, I believe it's the Gospel of John and it's the widow of Nain where, where Jesus sees a, a widow and her son's died and they're taking the co- casket out of the street. Jesus walks up, lays his hand out of the casket and the dude automatically pops up and he gives him back to his mother. And it was the miracle and we love to celebrate the miracle. But the Bible says Jesus loved Mary, loved Martha, and loved Lazarus, but yet there was a process there, and he waited four days till he was dead dead to come and raise him from the dead. So the ones he loves, he puts through a process. The ones he's trying to appeal to, he gives the miracle. Some of y'all better learn to love the process, is all I'm saying in that. Because we as believers want the miracle when the miracle is a sign for the unbeliever. The process is what a believer goes through to develop their faith, their character, their integrity. That goes through to develop their abilities, their skills, their talents, and everything that God has for them. the The, the process isn't easy, but the process is necessary. And we've got to understand that the God of the miracle is also the God of the process. And will we trust Him with the outcome even though we are still in the process? Because here was what faith is for. Faith is not for the arrival at the destination. Faith is to get you to the destination. Because when you're at the destination, it doesn't take faith any longer. When you're in heaven one day, it's not going to take faith to believe in God. Come on, somebody. You can express your faith. Here we go. Faith is not for the arrival at the destination. Faith is the strength on the inside of you that gets you to the destination. And so we're going to read uh, in Luke chapter number 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. And it is part of the Christmas account. And I always call it an account. Because when you call it a Christmas story, people automatically have a fictitious thought that pops into their subconscious. And you think it could be elaborated, kind of like the story of the fish that you caught when you were 12. That was really about a half a pound, but now it's like 8 pounds, right? Right? The story grows, the story develops, the story, but when you call it an account, it brings trueness, accuracy, and we know it is the word of God that does not change. And it's powerful. So as we read this, I want you to, to read this with me in Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph. Everybody say, and Joseph. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth, which means burial clothes, and laid him in a manger, which is literally a feed trough, because there was no place for them in the inn. And I do want to do a series one day called Unglamorized. Where we look at the reality of what actually was the Bible account rather than the glamorous story that we make it today. We've made Jesus being in a stable, in a manger, in a city outside, or in a a pasture outside of a city, a glamorous story when it was anything but glamorous. See, the swaddling cloths were actually strips of cloth that were um, uh, used to, to drag dead people off the road because they couldn't touch dead people. So they wrap a piece of cloth around them and drag them off the road so they wouldn't be unclean for the ceremony that they were walking to. And so they said, this is the sign of the Savior that he's going to be wrapped in death clothes, laying in a feed trough. And now I'm from northeast Texas and there's a lot of cows up there. And so I know what a feed trough is. And so it's never just this clean place that's elegant (laughs) with straw in it. (laughs) you got to get through the manure to get to the feed trough. you got to slide the salt block out of the way that's got slobber all over it. you got to move some stuff to put a baby wrapped in death clothes in a manger, a feed trough. And this is your sign that he is the Messiah. <laughs> Let's unglamorize the reality of what actually was. And so in this story, I want us to focus on verse number four. And it's a 33 word verse in the middle of the whole Christmas account that we read over. But what we read in 33 words took four or five days to happen. And it says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and of the lineage of David. And so let's talk about the journey from Galilee to Bethlehem that they went on just briefly for a moment. So from Galilee, it's in the north, and Bethlehem is in the south. And so when you would leave Galilee, it was a four or five day journey to get to Bethlehem. It was 90 miles by the route that they would take. But here's the thing. When you left Galilee, you would immediately go through a valley called the Valley of Jezreel. And you would go through a valley only to get up to the other side of the valley and realize that we either got to walk along the Jordan Valley or go through the Jordan River and get to the other side and walk along the Jordan River Valley to get to the Judean Desert... Only then to go up to the Mount of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, to go down the other side to get to the city to register where there's no room for us to register. So now we've got to go sleep in a cow pasture and give birth to a baby in a feed trough and wrap him in death clothes. And you thought your pregnancy was bad. <laughs> right? I mean, doctors won't even let us fly in the third trimester now. And she's having to ride a donkey four or five days. And did you catch the journey? She had to go through a valley... And you know, a lot of times when you go through a valley, you're looking forward to the other side because when you get to the other side, you think, I'm through. She got through a valley and then encountered a desert. How many of you have gone through some valleys only to get to the other side and realize there's just a desert? It really wasn't as good as I thought it would be. The breakthrough wasn't what I thought it would be. It wasn't as glamorous as I thought it would be. I only got through the valley of death and dying to get through a desert of dryness where I don't even know if God's speaking. Come on, somebody. Am I the only one who's gone through this? only to get to the place that I'm almost there. It's called the City of David, and we glamorize it. But i got to walk up a hill to the Temple Mount, and then back down the other side to Bethlehem, to where i got to get registered, only to realize that when I get there, there's not room for me to register. So now i got to go outside the city, and find a place for this person to be born. And if you're Joseph, you're saying, He ain't even my kid. Let's get real. Let's unglamorize this thing. Joseph said, I want to divorce her quietly. We all celebrate Joseph. Oh, Joseph, you're the father of Jesus. No, Joseph said, I don't want anything to do with this. So the angel of God had to come talk to him. Come on, let's read the story for what it actually says. And so with this, it's a 33-word verse in the middle of the whole Christmas account. And the question I have for you this morning is, will you notice the moment in the middle? Will you notice the moment in the middle? And in the middle of, of, of everything that you're going through, there's always a moment that, that, that happens. In the middle of every movie, there's a moment. You know, we just got through Hallmark season, right? It started, Janu- it started July the 5th, it ends January 1st. It's like six months of, oh, and he looked at her, and she looked at him, and he's from the big city, and she's the little country girl, and they looked at each other. Ah! You know what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody get with me. Right? And it's that moment in the middle of the movie that everybody's like, wow. There it is. And all the women's hearts are like, oh. Right? And all the men are like, oh my God, again. (laughs) It doesn't matter what sporting event it is. There's a moment in the middle. And I'm sorry if you're an Oklahoma fan. Because yesterday your moment happened about three minutes into the game. (laughs) And the rest of it was all LSU. Right? It was the moment at at the very beginning. But there was a moment that happened. And I'm grateful that Clemson is going to the national championship because I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan and I don't like the Buckeyes. Come on, somebody. But there's a moment in that game where it shifted as well. And so it doesn't matter what your reference or your context is. There's always a moment in the middle. And the question is, Is will you recognize the moment? It's not if there's a moment, but will you recognize the moment? So the three things I'm going to tell you today is there's going to be a moment that you got to recognize. It's going to develop into a movement that you got to step into. Because when you have a moment and it goes into a movement, God's going to bring kingdom momentum to start changing your life. So I just preached my message in three words, but I'm going to finish it out for you, okay? Like any good pastor would. So the question is not there if there is a moment, but will you recognize the moment? And it matters from where you see the moment from. Now this matters where you see the moment from. If you look at your life from the circumstances of your life, you'll stay critical about your current situation. If you look at your life from the circumstances of your life, you're going to stay critical about the situation in your life. If you look at your life, if you look at your husband or your wife from the current situation of your marriage, you're going to stay critical about your marriage, about what he is not doing and putting his dirty underwear in the laundry basket. Come on, somebody. About what she is not doing and and the dishes should have been done. Whatever your, 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 your prototypical marriage looks like. If you continue to look at your marriage from the current state of your marriage, you're always going to be critical about your marriage. If you look at your job from the current state of your job, you're going to stay critical about your job. If you look at this church from the current state of this church, you're going to be critical about the things you see in this church. And that means you're too comfortable in this church. And and I'll say it again. The only reason people get critical about church, Pastor Chris, is because they're too comfortable with church. You feel the donuts are entitled and you're mad if they don't show up next Sunday. When if you would have brought a friend to church this morning, you wouldn't have been worrying about the donuts. You'd have been worried if they feel comfortable, if they got a safe place to sit. You'd want to introduce them to Pastor Chris. You'd want to help them get into a group life. You'd want to make sure that they had a bottle of water. You'd want to make sure that they had a cup of coffee and you would have brought that to them. See, we get critical about church because we're too comfortable with church and the benefits of church become entitlement to us. But if we would bring somebody to church, we would look at it completely different. You wouldn't worry about if the music was too loud or too soft because you'd be too busy praying for the person that you brought to encounter Christ. It's the moment in the middle. And if you keep looking at your life from the current circumstances of your life, you're always going to stay critical about your current situation. But when you look at your life from God's vantage point, you'll begin to see the advantage of your life. See, when you look at your life from God's vantage point, you begin to see the advantage. You're in your current situation, but if you begin to look at it from God's vantage point of where you really are, seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, the problem that looks so big because it was this big now looks rather small because what changed? Your situation didn't change. Your vantage point changed of how you view the situation. And when you begin to view it from a different vantage point, you begin to have the advantage of your life. And so write this point down. It's going to be up on the screens. Your vantage point of the moment determines your victory in the moment. Or just break out your cell phone and take a picture of it. That's what I tell our people to do. Use your cell phone in church. Take pictures of things on the screens that mean something to you. And then Facebook post it and do whatever you want to do with it. Put it on your mirror. Make a life statement out of it. I don't care. But don't forget about it. Your vantage point of the moment determines your victory in the moment. If I keep looking at my marriage from here and I don't begin to look at my marriage from here, I'm always going to be critical of my marriage because my vantage point is the disadvantage until I get to God's viewpoint becoming the advantage. you got to start looking at life from a different vantage point of your life. And the question is, will you miss the moment or will you let the moment bring you into a movement? Will you miss the moment, or will you let the moment bring you into a movement? Even King David said this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, see, he knew there was a moment in the valley when it was so bad that it was he called it. It's the shadow of death, meaning in his day and age that I'm about to die. It wasn't. It wasn't a metaphorical statement. The shadow of death or the spirit of death was coming up on him and he's like, I would much rather die, but he said this instead, even though I walk through these moments when I feel like I want to die. Come on. Some of you just got to keep moving. I know the marriage doesn't look good, but keep coming to church. I know the kids aren't acting right, but keep bringing them to the house of God. I know the, the kids are grown and out of the house, and they're not worshiping Jesus, and you think you failed as a parent, but don't let that stop you from getting on your knees and bringing your children before Almighty God, because what God can do in a moment is more than you can do in a lifetime, and you just got to keep moving through the moment. You got to keep moving through the moments of your life. And listen to this, even while we're worrying about it, here's my favorite part. Even while we're worrying about it, he's still working on it. So my worrying doesn't speed his process and it doesn't slow his process. The only thing it does is make me miserable in the moment. And so I got to keep moving through the moment because while I'm worrying, he's still working. And 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 I, I didn't say this first service, and please don't be mad at when I say it, but most of your prayers aren't prayers, it's just worrying out loud. I'm just going to leave it there, okay? That's like a bomb you drop that Pastor Chris gets to clean up later, right? What I'm saying is change the way you pray. I'll clean it up now. Quit telling God all about your problems. God knows about your problems. Start bringing Him praise in the midst of your problems to prove that you're magnifying a God who's greater than your problem and He's the only one who can fix your problem. Your worrying isn't going to fix Him, so I'm going to praise Him in the midst of it. And so bring Him your praise, not your prayers that you're calling, your worry that you're calling prayers. And when you pray, He taught you how to pray. Pray like this. Our Father who is sovereign and in heaven, your kingdom come and your will be done on my situation and my problem. He says, call my kingdom into your problem. Don't bring your problems into my kingdom. Start calling heaven into your situation. Jesus said, do it. Don't argue with me. He's the son of God. He's telling you how to pray. (laughs) And so with that, I want you to start calling heaven in the midst of it, because while you're worrying about it, God is still working on it. And in that, you're going to get movement in the middle. But in the middle, you have to stay in motion. When you are not sure about where God is taking you, I'm going to challenge you to look back and see the battles you've won to give you courage for the battles you're about to face. When you're in the moment, in the middle, the valley, the circumstance, the whatever you want to call it, the mountain that you're facing, the giant that you're facing, we got all these metaphorical statements of really saying, i got a big problem that I can't solve. And so in that moment... I want you to stay in motion, in movement, walk through it. But sometimes the first movement you make, Pastor Chris, it's not a step forward into the problem. It's a stop and it's a movement to look backwards and see all the battles you've already won. It's to look back and say, God came through this time. And he came through this time, and he came through this time. It's what King David told King Saul. He said, I fought a lion and killed it. I fought a bear and killed it. I'm rehearsing the battles that I've already won. And this uncircumcised Philistine who is not in covenant with my almighty God, who gave me power over the lion and the bear will also give me power over him. So I'm looking back to my past victories to see the power of the victory that I'm fixing to walk into. Some of you don't know how you're going to make it through your next year of marriage. And some of you are just hanging on until the holidays are done. I'm not dumb. I've done enough marriage counseling in the past to know that it's happening in this church as well. And you don't even know how you're going to tell the kids. You don't even know how you're going to tell the family. You and your spouse have just made an agreement that we're not going to talk about it until the holidays are done. But then we know after the holidays are done, we're done. And I'm telling you, the problem looks insurmountable. Because you're looking at the problem. I want to encourage you to look back at the last 20 years of marriage and start celebrating the last 20 years to give you courage to face the next year that seems insurmountable. I want you to go back to year number one. And you remember day one because it's wedding day and everybody looks the best they ever will in their life. That's why you take so many pictures on your wedding day. You're never going to look any better than that. I mean, you're not. And you celebrate the honeymoon. But I promise in your 20 if you'll start thinking back to the honeymoon and start celebrating what God did then and start celebrating year one. You'll get excited enough and look what God did in year two and look what God did in year three and look what God did in year four and look what God did in year five. Hey, we made it five years. Look what God did in year six. Look what God did in year seven. Look at what God did in year eight. Look at what God did in year nine. Look at what God did in year ten. We made it through a decade of living with each other when we didn't even really know each other in year one and we made it through ten years of marital amazingness. And so now let's take on year 11 and you look back and start celebrating the second decade and by the time you get to 18 and 19 and 20 I promise your momentum and your movement has changed enough that says year 21 it's not going to be any different than the problems we've had in the past but now we got the courage and the power and the faith to overcome the problem that's facing us some of you got to look back and start celebrating you got to look back and start celebrating the addictions you've overcome to get through the current addiction that you're that you're going through now when you were a teenager, it was smoking something you should have smoked, shouldn't have smoked. Now it's a prescription drug that you got to get a doctor's note for. Addictions are addictions. And listen, I drove I drove around the city last night when I got here and I stopped at a couple gas stations and got some Gatorade and some water and, and, and there's no secret there's a meth problem in this area. All you got to do is look at somebody's smile. The same God that set somebody free from an addiction of alcohol ten years ago, He can break the addiction of meth just like that. And people say, oh, that's an addiction you can't break. You obviously don't know my God. You obviously don't know the power that comes with knowing the Savior of the world who died and was rose again for me. You obviously don't know the same Jesus I know because that's nothing to Him. But we haven't looked back to celebrate the past victories so we can have courage for the problem that's facing us ahead and he's not trying to make a monument out of you. He's trying to create movement in you, even if your first movement is to look back to see how far you've come. And I, I want to bring this point up because Paul says an amazing statement when he's in jail and he's writing a letter to the church of Philippi, to the Philippian church. And a guy comes to encourage Paul and bring him gifts. And Paul ended up encouraging him. And the Bible says this in Philippians 1, six, And I am sure, certain, and positive of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So God who started it is the same God who's going to finish it, but somewhere we get caught up in this mess in the middle. And Paul knew this, the God who started it and got him born again on the road to Damascus is the God who has also finished it with Paul's life, where Paul says, I've been poured out like a drink offering, I've ran the race, I've kept the faith, and now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, and he hasn't got to that day yet, but he's stuck in prison in the middle. Here's the difference. Paul was in prison, but prison was not in Paul. Paul was in prison, but prison was not in him. In our city, we we struggle with poverty greatly in the city we live in. I mean, 70% of our kids are on free or reduced lunches. I mean, if you want to figure out how the economic rate of your city is, go to the school system and look. And look at the lives of the kids and how many are on free and reduced lunches. See, poverty is in our city, but poverty is not in us. So therefore, our church is on a vendetta to change the poverty of our city To be a city that that is prospering and benefits the kingdom of God. See, our city can be in poverty, but poverty is not in us. See, and if it's not in you, it can't overcome you. If it's not in you, it can't conquer you. If it's not in you, it can't overtake you. But if it is what is in you, is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And so if you have the hope of glory in you, you can be in prison, but prison not be in you. And if the hope of glory is in you, our city can be in poverty, but poverty not being in us. And if the hope of glory is on the inside of us, it doesn't matter what is trying to conquer me, because we're going to conquer it, because it's called the hope of the glory of God Almighty. And there's a hope sitting in this building, and it's called you. What's the hope of glory on the inside of you? The hope of glory on the inside of you is Jesus Christ. There's momentum in the middle. So you got to recognize the moment, you got to recognize the movement if you're ever going to get to the momentum. Now, here's the thing about momentum. Momentum does not happen with movement. A lot of people think momentum happens with movement. Like, there's no greater telling tale than watching a, a sporting event when you know when momentum hits the field. All my guys in the house, are y'all sports fans? Raise your hand real high. Right, if you're a sports fan. You know when momentum hits the field. It, it, it's, not, it's not a movement that happened. But something happens and a mindset changes in the team and you can just see it happening. It's like a train wreck that you can't take your eyes off of. It's like this one team's dominating and then one thing happened. It's that moment and they recognize it and a mindset change and they start getting momentum going back the other direction. God wants to bring you kingdom, momentum in your life, but it doesn't happen with movement. It happens with a mindset change. What does happen with movement is movement gets Joel T. Meyer outside of Joel T. Meyer to get me a better vantage point so I can tap into the momentum that's going to help me overcome the problem that I've been facing. So movement gets you outside of you. I've done ministry long enough to know that the biggest problems in the church are, 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 are usually with me. If the church is stagnating and not growing, it's Joel T. Meyer's leadership issues. Come on. I mean, I take personal responsibility for the the growth of our church. And when it's not growing, I look at my life and where am I missing it? Because most of the problems are with me. If there's problems in your marriage, don't look at your spouse, look at you. If there's problems with your kids, don't yell at them, yell at yourself. Come on now. If there's problems with your job, start looking at yourself before you talk about how bad your boss is. Because when you get put in management and you get promoted, you're going to have a bunch of people talking bad about you. I've been, been there too long. So with this, momentum doesn't happen with movement. It happens with a mindset but you've got to get outside yourself. This is why the Bible says in Romans 12.1, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I'm going to close with this statement. I'm done after this. You cannot confuse the story of your life with the scene that you're going through. You can't confuse it. you got a whole story of your life being written. You guys got an amazing story of the life of this church being written. But if you only look at the church because of the scene or the moment that it's going through. You're going to miss the fullness of the story that God's trying to create. I ain't going to lie, Pastor Chris, he painted a big old picture for me. Like y'all think I'm the next Billy Graham coming in or something, and I'm just happy to be here, right? And the church grew from three to eight hundred and something, had thirteen hundred at Easter and all this great stuff. And This last year of ministry was the worst year, the hardest year, the the, the most ungodly year, the the year if I could say was ever a mess, it would have been this year. It was this year of ministry. Personally, it happened to me five years ago when my dad had two massive strokes and my wife miscarried a baby that was, we were six months along in and we had to give birth to a baby that, that wasn't ever going to be alive. And then, uh, three months later, her father, her father-in-law took his own life. Since there's kids in here, I'll be gentle. All in less than a year. And we couldn't wait for that year to be done. And there was a mess in the middle. But I had to know I serve a God who stands outside of my frame of time. The Bible says He is the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the ending, all at the same time. And the only reason Jesus had to come to this earth is because God Himself had to insert Himself into our frame called time. Because He stands outside of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And if I judge my whole life by the one scene that I'm going through... Come on, somebody... If I judge my whole life by the one marriage problem that I can't fix right now. If I judge my whole ministry by the one bad year that I looked at as bad, but but now that I look back, God brought us through the fire and we don't even look like we got a smell of smoke on us. We actually grew through the problems. How how does that happen? How does that happen? And with this, you gotta learn to celebrate the goods. While going through the bads because sometimes the church attendance is at an all time high and the outside it looks like it's good, but on the inside you're waking up. How do we even deal with this problem? Right? So you gotta learn to walk in the good while dealing with the bad. And sometimes it feels like your mind is bipolar. Does anybody get this? Same thing with marriage. Same thing with kids. Gosh, I love my two world changer kids. They are awesome. They're 10 and they're 8 and they're amazing, wonderful, awesome, the best kids in the world, except sometimes. Right? But i got to learn to celebrate the one who's doing great in school while crying with the other one who can't get his math facts down. And as a parent, you're like, how do I do this? How do I celebrate him but weep with him? And when he does good, how do I celebrate with him and discipline him? And they're two boys, so they act just like their daddy. And I don't know how their mama puts up with all three of us. <laughs> but it's that moment in the middle that, you got, that, that you're stuck in the scene, Pastor Chris. And, and I know you've been there because we've talked about things. And, and I know our, we, we go through it with marriages. We go through it when we walk through families in the church that are dealing with death of loved ones. We go through it in other areas. And it's this scene in the middle where we're we're holding five to ten different plates, it feels like, and it's this scene in the middle, and we're saying, God, will the scene ever stop? You can't judge your life by the scene that you're going through. I promise, there's a brighter day coming, but that day's going to have problems too. You can either look at the ground that ain't producing fruit, or you can look at the sun and praise God that it's not raining today. It's all your perspective. And with that, Jesus recognized his moment. Like I said, there's moment, there's movement, and there's momentum. Jesus recognized his moment. And in that moment, it was not his birth, it was his death. He recognized the moment. He recognized the moment when Peter denied him, when Judas betrayed him, he was in the garden weeping and sweating drops of blood in the moment, and everybody else went to sleep on him. Come on, somebody. You ever feel all alone? You got somebody betraying you? You got somebody denying you? You got everybody else sleeping on you when you just ask them to work and clean the dishes for you? Come on. Right? And Jesus, in that moment, Pastor Chris, he recognized his moment because he says, Father, in this moment, not what I want, but what you want. But God, if it can pass, let it pass. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go through it. He understood what it was going to take. But in the moment, he looked up to the father and said, Father, this is the worst moment ever. Let's unglamorize it. Oh, Jesus, sweating drops of blood in the garden, and they're sleeping, and the traitor's coming, and Peter's denying. Gosh, you want to talk about lonely? You want to talk about nobody? And let's unglamorize it for a minute. Because Jesus in that moment was in such anguish. And it's a scientific fact that you can sweat blood. He was in such anguish that he called out to the Father and said, Father, if it can happen another way, let this cup pass from me. I don't want this moment. But nevertheless, not what I will, not what I would want, not I will, but what thy will be done. And you know what he had to do? He had to stand up. He had to walk out of the garden. He had to watch Peter, who was about to deny him, cut somebody's ear off and heal the man who was about to bring him to be crucified. That ain't fair. If it was Joel and the dude's ear got cut off, I'd say, good, let him bleed. Right? That's why I'm not Jesus. I'm working on myself. I'm telling you, I'm my biggest problem. And in that moment, Jesus recognized the moment. And the spotless, sinless Son of God hung on a cross and bled and died for you and me. And in that moment, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last and he died. He recognized the moment. That was the moment. That was the moment. When all of eternity began to change, because Jesus fulfilled his moment, God, who stands outside our realm of time, saw his moment. Jesus died, and God said, but wait a minute. But wait a minute. He didn't sin, he just died a sinner's death. He was sinless, but yet he died for all the sinners. But because he was sinless, I am God and I stand outside the realm of time. But now this is my moment. Because he died unjustly, I can make justification happen. And God stepped in and on the third day raised his own son from the dead. Come on. He raised his son from the dead. So Jesus took advantage of His moment. And then God took advantage of His moment. And then 50 days later at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and gave us the moment of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell with us forever. And that started kingdom momentum that has not stopped since. Amen. Give God praise. Come on. When Jesus moved... This is, this, is a, this is a startling moment for me. I've talked a lot about movement this morning, but Jesus' movement was so amazing that he said, the only move I can make if I'm going to save a lost humanity and change the scene and dictate the outcome of the story is I've got to move away from God to the cross so the people who are away from the cross can move to God. God. I don't get it. Our always movement is moving towards God. Jesus said, if they can never move towards God, I got to move away from God. So he took our sacrificial pain and suffering and what we should have gone through. He stepped away from God so that we could come close to God. He became sin so we could become righteous. And in that moment, he created a movement that started momentum. That's available for you today. And here's the one question I have for you this morning. How many of you in your life, if you'll be so bold to say it, don't raise your hand just yet, have a mess that you're dealing with? And I want you to think about your life. Because it's good when you're in here. It's good when you're in the house of God and there's corporate faith and everything's wonderful. But in about five minutes you're walking out those doors back into the mess. You're walking back into the marriage crisis. You're walking back into the job crisis. You're walking back into, the, into the, the kid crisis. You're walking back into the addiction crisis. And it's great when you're in church because the addiction doesn't feel like it's got power on you. And you're, and you're celebrating because it's like, I'm going to be free today when I walk out. But when you walk out, you're bombarded with the mess again. And the freedom that you felt in here seems to be fastly disappearing out there. Well, here's your moment to let freedom come in and change you forever. Because the same prayer that you prayed to get you born again years ago is the same prayer you pray today to get out of the current mess that you're in. Because we talk about salvation in the Western culture, and when we say be saved, we think of a one-time born-again experience when the actual Hebrew term and even the Greek term for this is not a one-time salvation. It starts in a moment with a one-time salvation, but it's a continual, perpetual process of saving us from the dyers or the messes that we get into. So the same prayer that you prayed to get saved is the same prayer you prayed to get out of your mess. And it's a real simple prayer. It's Jesus, help! Oh, Don't become so religious that you think you got to pray a big prayer, when all it really is is, help! I need you. I can't do it anymore. The marriage mess is too great. I can't do it on my own. But while you're worrying, he's still working. So I'm going to ask everybody across the auditorium to close their eyes just for a minute. If you're on the prayer team or the ministry team, if you'd come and stand in positions and get ready. And nobody looking around, just because I want you to really take this one personal. Really take this one personal. Everybody close your eyes, nobody looking around. If you're going through a mess and want Jesus to help you, just hold your hand up real high just for a minute. Good, don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, just hold your hand up real high. You don't have to have the answer. You just got to know that you got a problem. (laughs) All right, put your hands down. In this room, if you're in a mess because you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't remember the time that you prayed a prayer, but you've been coming to church for a while, you don't remember the significant moment when you prayed a prayer and your life was changed. You you, you think there may have been. You're kind of sure that there was. You just didn't morph into the church and become a Christian though. Today if you want to pray a prayer of significance. A prayer that will mean something to you. Because you're making a sober decision under clear conscience that I want to be born again and I want Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. If you want to pray that prayer, I want you to just hold your hand up real high just for a second. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Seven, eight hands up across the worship center. Everybody put your hands down. Now I'm going to ask everybody to reverently stand. Don't grab your purses. Don't grab your Bibles. Just reverently stand. And we're all going to pray this prayer together. Nobody gets left behind at New Covenant Church. Nobody does life alone at New Covenant Church. We're all going to pray this prayer together. If you're praying this prayer and you want to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, immediately when we're done with this prayer, I want you to go pray with, we'll come over here to Pastor Chris. And, and I hope all eight of you guys come over here to Pastor Chris. And meet him and get to know him and let him start you on a path that's going to walk with you and change your life forever. This morning, if you just need prayer for the mess that you're in, go to any other of the prayer partners that are all around this worship center standing. And they want to pray with you. But everybody pray this prayer with me. Say, Father... In the name of Jesus I need help I need to be saved from the mess That is my life Right now I need to be born again And I just need rescuing From my mess of the moment So I pray this prayer Father in the name of Jesus I declare Jesus is Lord of my life And in this moment, I receive the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sins. I also declare that He is Lord and you have raised Him from the dead. And that same power that you used to raise Christ from the dead makes me born again. And it also saves me from my mess. I declare I'm saved and born again from this moment on. I'm rescued from my circumstances. And my life is forever changed. In the name of Jesus, I pray this prayer. And I thank you for my salvation. Amen. Give God a good hand clap of praise just for a moment. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to com.